Good morning, Chapel family. How's everybody? All right. I just want to echo Heather's comments. What a great day yesterday. So thank you all for making that possible with your contributions of candy and helping out with the trunks and all that you did. So it was just a great... Let's just show our appreciation to the family ministry team. They really knocked that apart. So uh, I'm Ted Voltmer. I'm the executive pastor. It's great to be here with you today. Pastor Dave will be back next week. He'll be starting a series called Prodigal, Prodigal, and I'm really looking forward to it. It's, you know, we all have a tendency to sometimes push away from God and just try to make life work out on our own, and that seldom works out well, at least for me. So I'll be looking uh, forward to Dave's series. He's going to be looking at the parables from Luke 15 give us a glimpse into the Father's heart to help us find our way back to Him whenever we wander away. So you won't want to miss it. It's a three-week series that takes us right up to Advent, which is like, I can't believe that, Um, but it'll be wonderful. Well, today we're wrapping up our fall series on encounters with Jesus with a look at Jesus's last encounter before He went to the cross. It was his meeting with Pontius Pilate, a powerful man, a powerful man. I've really enjoyed this entire series. We've seen that deep, lasting life change only comes from personally encountering Jesus. And that hasn't changed from New Testament times until today. Jesus still meets us right where we are personally for each one of us. And we'll see ourselves in this last encounter with Pilate. And how Jesus confronted worldly power, worldly power, with the power of love and grace that can only come from Him. True power, not worldly power, but Christ-like power, is often not what we expect, though. And when we see it in front of us, it can often be unsettling. The National Prayer Breakfast takes place every year in February with the goal of bringing together the political, the social, the business elite to spend time together in prayer. The main event takes place in the Capitol, and it's usually attended by all the Washington power people, the president and the first lady, the vice president and his wife, Supreme Court justices, congressmen, senators, religious and business leaders. It's quite the group of movers and shakers all in one place. Well, every year there are several speeches where leaders share their views on their faith and religion and they pray for our country. It's usually very nice. But in 1994, they got much more than they expected. After all the welcomes and introductions, the main speaker walked up to the podium. You could barely see Mother Teresa over the microphone. She was 84 years old at the time, and she read slowly but clearly from her notes. Make us worthy, Lord, to serve our fellow men throughout the world who live and die in poverty and hunger. Give them through our hands this day their daily bread, and by our our understanding of love give peace and joy. That's beautiful. From there, she went on to share the gospel message, and she talked about her work with the poor and the homeless. Now, there were more than 3,000 people gathered in the room that day, and they were all just dialed in and paying attention as she spoke about God and love and families and how we need to love each other. But then her speech became 
a little more direct. If we are not willing to give whatever it takes to do good to one another, sin is still in us. That is why we too must give to each other until it hurts. It is not enough for us to say, I love God. I also have to love my neighbor. St. John said that you are a liar if you say you love God and you don't love your neighbor. How can you love God whom you do not see if you do not love your neighbor whom you see, whom you touch, with whom you live? Well, now people are starting to get a little uncomfortable, right? Is she talking to me? (laughs) But she wasn't done yet. In the families of the West, many parents are so busy they have no time for their children, she said. Or perhaps they are not even married or have given up on their marriage. This is tragic. For it is within the child that the love and peace of of, of adulthood begins. Therefore, it is within the family that love and peace must begin. Well, now the room is crickets, totally quiet. But she had more. But I feel that the greatest destroyer of peace today is abortion. Because Jesus said, if you receive a little child, you receive me. So every abortion is the denial of receiving Jesus, the neglect of receiving Jesus. It is really a war against the child. Well, now the audience doesn't know what to do. They're all kind of like looking down. They don't want to make eye contact. Someone in the back starts clapping slowly. And eventually everyone's on their feet giving her a standing ovation. Well, not everyone. The president and the first lady, the vice president, most of the elected officials, they just sat there with blank looks on their faces. No one told Mother Teresa that when you're invited to breakfast, you're just supposed to say nice things. Yeah. Don't upset anyone. Not that she would have cared anyway. That day, all of the influence and power in the room shifted from the worldly powerful elites to someone who loved God and his people. Today's passage, John 18 and 19, tells a similar story. We're pretty familiar with Jesus' last night on earth, so let me just summarize what's happening and then read some of the key verses for us. On his last night before going to the cross, Jesus is praying in the garden when Judas walks up with some Roman soldiers and other officials about 50 people in total. The disciples all take off, and the soldiers take Jesus to see Caiaphas, the high priest, and the Pharisees and other Jewish leaders. They accused Jesus of blasphemy because he claimed he was the Son of God, and they want to execute him, but they can't do that. They're not allowed to do that. They need Pilate to do that. So they all go to the governor's palace, but they won't go inside the palace because that would make them unclean, which is kind of ironic because they're more worried about breaking a ceremonial ceremonial law than they are with killing an innocent man. So Pilate comes outside to listen to them, and then he decides to meet with Jesus alone. Let's pick it up in verse 33 from chapter 18. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus clearly did not fit Pilate's picture of what a king should look like. Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. 
If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Retorted Pilate. So the Jews want Jesus dead, but Pilate doesn't think that he's actually a threat to the Romans. So he goes back out and sa- outside and says, this man is innocent. I can't find any charge against him. But the Jews insist, no, he's guilty. He's guilty. So Pilate has Jesus whipped and the soldiers put a crown of thorns on his head and they dress him in purple robes, mocking him as the king of Jews. And then they continue to beat him. Two more times now, Pilate says, he's innocent. He's innocent. He's even offered to release him, but the crowd just shouts, no, no, release Barabbas instead. The Jewish leaders won't let up, and they keep pushing Pilate to take Jesus. Look at John 19, verse 7 with me. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. Now, in Matthew's version of this story, it tells us that Pilate's wife had a dream about Jesus. She knew that he was innocent, and he didn't, she did not want her husband to even get involved. Verse 9, he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Jesus is talking about Caiaphas here. As high priest, he should have known the prophecies that pointed to Jesus as the Messiah. Verse 12. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. Well, that did it for Pilate. For someone as politically motivated as as him, suggesting that he was going against Caesar was the last straw. He was backed into a corner. Verse 13. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. This is God's word. Well, we've looked at six different encounters with Jesus during this series And each time that person had a choice to make. They have a choice to make. Now that they've met Jesus, will they start doing things his way? Or will they keep doing things their own way? And that's the choice that Pilate has to make here. Will he do what's best for him and his situation? Or will he do what is best for Jesus? That's a choice all of us have to make every day. So I, I don't know if it's, if it's because it's the last day of October or because Christmas is only a few weeks away and I'm starting to freak out a little bit, but today's message has only one point. <laughs> yeah, right? 
Well, here it is. Worldly power chooses what works. But Christ-like power chooses what is right. Worldly power chooses what works. But Christ-like power chooses what is right. Now, it's easy sitting here on a Sunday morning to say, well, of course, I want Christ-like power. And we'll get to that in a minute. But worldly power is so attractive on many levels. First, it's just so practical. It chooses what works. So in any given situation, it just makes sense to do it that way. It seems obvious to do what is best in the moment, to do whatever helps us reach our goals. But if we're only focused on doing what works, we may miss out on doing what is right. If all I care about is my reputation and what people think of me, then I'll probably hesitate to share my faith because I don't want to upset anyone. Or if I'm intent on building my career and getting to the next level, which is not a bad thing, but if that's all I care about, then I won't give a coworker the opportunity to lead an important project because she might do a great job with it and, and I have to protect my position, right? Maybe we're afraid to speak up against injustice because we don't want to end up being canceled ourselves. I can relate to all of these, and I think some of you could too. It's easier to keep doing what works instead of choosing what is right. That is how Pontius Pilate was wired. We see him in other places in Scripture, but this passage is our main interaction with him. We know from other historians that he was a soldier. He fought for Rome against what is now Germany. And he had a reputation for being ambitious and cruel and for hating the Jews. It's likely he only became governor here because of his connections. His wife was the granddaughter of Emperor Augustus, and his mentor was one of Caesar's chief lieutenants. Throughout his career, Pilate's been the one with all the answers, in charge and in control of the situation. But that's all about to change when he encounters Jesus. The two of them could not be more different. Where Pilate was aggressive and arrogant, Jesus was gentle and humble. At one point, Pilate says, don't you know I have the power to free you? And Jesus replies, any power you have came from above. Romans 13 tells us that we need to submit to the authorities above us because God has put them in place. And Jesus is living that out here for us. It's even more ironic because Jesus, the creator and sustainer of the universe, allowed Pilate to have this position. And here he is submitting to him. Pilate is seeking his own glory, doing whatever he can to make himself look better, to ensure his success. And Jesus is doing all this to bring glory to God. That's been his main focus throughout his time on earth. He prayed for exactly that the night before this very meeting, asking God, if there's some way to avoid the cross, please take this cup away from me. But he said he would do whatever God wanted for his glory. Paul writes in Philippians that Jesus willingly gave up all his glory and divine privileges, making himself nothing to become a servant for us. And he shows that here in front of Pilate. One more way these two are so different. Pilate's running back and forth, creating so much stress and anxiety for everyone involved, while Jesus is very still 
and peaceful. He's the one in control here, not Pilate. Pilate's angry and frustrated with the Jewish leaders. He's thinking about his wife's warning after having a dream about Jesus, and now he has to worry what Caesar will think if he lets Jesus go. Jesus, on the other hand, is just completely calm. He taught us to turn the other cheek, even when you're in front of someone who is evil, like Pilate. And he's doing that here. He's living it out. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The world has no defense for someone who wants to make peace. We just don't know how to respond to that. Pilate didn't know what to do with Jesus. We can have such an impact on the world around us by just loving people unconditionally and looking for ways to bring peace instead of creating stress. So right here in the middle of this back and forth between the two of them, Jesus starts talking about truth, which feels a little bit out of place. Pilate asks if he's a king, and Jesus replies, well, you say I am a king. In fact, the reason I came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Well, what is that about? Why is he emphasizing the need for truth here? I've worked with a lot of powerful men and women throughout my career, and most of them had the same qualities that we see in Pilate. Aggressive, arrogant, self-serving, love to create stress for me and for others. I have friends who worked for Steve Jobs at Apple. And they would all say that he was the same, same way. He had these same qualities. They respected him as a genius, but to be honest, he could just be a jerk. Walter Isaacson wrote Job's biography. It's, it's excellent, by the way. And he said, if you were listing the 1,000 adjectives for Steve, nice would not be one of them. <laughs> Kindness would not be up there either. But there was another quality that Steve did have. The people around him called it his reality distortion field. Reality distortion field. He really believed that he could bend facts to his will, that he could make something true if he believed it hard enough. And that's not just Steve Jobs. Most of the powerful men and women I've, I've met do the same thing. They like to write their own narrative. They want to believe that what they think is true, and they get upset when the facts get in the way. It's amazing to me, but it, I see it consistently. I think Jesus saw the same thing in Pilate here. So he tells him, I am here to tell you what is true. That's why I was born. That's why I came to earth. Everyone who wants to know the truth will listen to me. I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is saying to Pilate, he's saying to us, yes, you have some power here. That power came from me. You built a good life here for yourself. That's okay. You can even choose to follow me or not, but you don't get to pick your own truth. Truth just is. 
Jesus said, I am the truth. Anyone who is interested in knowing the truth needs to listen to me. In a recent People magazine article, Gwyneth Paltrow talked about the advice she gives her children on making big decisions about relationships and work and life. Here's what she tells them. Stay really close to your own truth. I think the main thing that nobody ever tells you is you have to stay really close to your own truth and you have to stay really in integrity with that truth. I will always just encourage my children to really listen to themselves. Listen to their instincts. Listen to if something, you know, feels right and to act from that place. Now, I'm sure Gwyneth is a very nice person. I liked her in all the Marvel movies, right? Pepper Potts. But this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) Your kids are looking to you for direction and insight, and all you can come up with is figure out your own truth and stay close to that? To do what feels right? I'd be afraid if I just did what felt right. Stephen Colbert calls this truthiness. Truthiness. Something doesn't actually have to be true as long as we think it's true. Or as long as we feel that it's true. Truthiness is more important than the actual truth. Well, worldly power is built on a foundation of truthiness. As long as I can define what is true, then I'm free to do whatever works best for me. But Jesus comes along and says, no, that's not how it works. True power, Christ-like power, chooses to do what is right. And the right thing to do in any situation is that which brings glory to God, strengthens our relationship with Him, and blesses others. So if you are looking to increase your worldly power, then do what works best to build yourself up, to get ahead, to achieve more. But if you want to increase Christ-like power in your life, choose what is right and bring glory to God while blessing those around you. So Gwyneth, if you're giving relationship advice to your kids, instead of telling them to do what feels right, tell them to honor God with their bodies and look for ways to point other people to Him and not to yourself. Or if you're a boss like Steve Jobs, treat people with respect because they're made in the image of God and help them to find a greater purpose in their work than just doing what's best for you. Worldly power chooses what works, but Christ-like power chooses what is right. Jesus showed us what this looks like in his encounter with Pilate, and then he provided the perfect example when he went to the cross the next day. As believers, as Christ followers, we believe that God exists and that he made us in love to know him. But because of sin and our own selfishness, we turned away from him to do what we wanted. We thought we'd be better off on our own, but God still loved us and promised to bring us back. He sent his son into the world to break the power of sin and death, but it cost him everything when he went to the cross. 
The Bible tells us that Jesus rose from the dead and is now today in heaven, interceding for us every day and preparing a new heaven and a new earth without any death or suffering, where we will live with him forever. That is the truth. That's the reason that Jesus was born and came into this world, and that is the truth he testifies to. So you and I have a choice to make. We have a one-time choice to accept him as our Savior, and then an everyday choice to follow him in his Christ-like power to choose what is right. And that's a decision we each need to make every day. Every day. In a minute, Taylor and Lauren are going to lead us in one more song. I wanted to close today's message with worship because for me, for all of us really, worship through song is one of the most powerful ways to connect directly to the love and grace and power of God. When we all worship together, the walls that we built up between us and God and any between each other get torn down and our hearts become soft and open to God's nearness. And we can feel the power of his presence. So as we worship together now, let the truth of the words you're singing wash over you. Be open to God's spirit leading you and ask him to help you to be open and attentive to your next encounter with Jesus. He may be calling out to you right now through something that we said here today, or it may happen later this week through a passage of scripture that you're studying or a conversation with a friend or a situation at work or something you've watched or read or heard. Tell God you want to hear from him. And you want to be open to his leading. 